Welcome into another episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We got three uh, guests lined up for you tonight. First of all, we're going to start with uh, uh, John Feaster, head coach of the Stone County Tomcats, uh, as they get ready for their game tomorrow night. Uh, it's moved because of the storm uh, coming in to some pending weather, so it was moved up to Thursday night as they face the Poplarville Hornets. Next, we're going to have Neil McCready. He's the publisher of the Rebel Grove. He's going to talk everything Old Miss as they get ready for their game uh, this weekend against Alabama. And then batting cleanup is going to be Jeff Duncan. He's a columnist for The Athletic right there in New Orleans. He has a new book out. We're going to talk everything about the book, and we're going to dive into your 2020 New Orleans Saints. Some things uh, he has seen, some things that he has written about uh, for The Athletic as we uh, as we get into this uh uh, beginning stages of this NFL season. So should be interesting. Thank you for joining. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we're adding new services and personnel every day. Please welcome Kimberly Carver, FNPC, to the Highland Pediatric and Primary Care Rural Health Clinic. She's another addition to our expanding family of service providers. Please call 601-358-9765 to schedule an appointment. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. We're honored tonight to be joined by John Feaster, the head coach of the Stone County Tomcats. Coach Feaster is a guy who's a member of the PRCC Sports Hall of Fame. And, of course, he went from PRCC up to the University of and had a good career there, and more importantly, brought home a degree and a bride, huh, John? That's right, man. That's the most important thing. I'm going to put the bride first. <laughs> hey, <laughs> look, and if she hears this, make sure you say Clay did that uh, not on purpose. I'd be in trouble both ways. That's right, man. That's right. So the, the, the most important thing I brought back from Ohio was a wife, and he's blessed me with three kids. John, talk about uh, the game of football. Of course, we introduced you as the coach of Stone uh, County Tomcats. Talk about the game of football and how it's helped you being able to influence young people, man. Uh, first and foremost, man, I, I just I want to get God all the honor and glory. Uh, I always tell people I love football, but I love kids more. And I always say, you know, uh, football changed my life. Because uh, you just, as you know, after mentioned uh, that, that, you know, I was blessed to play football, you know, at Picayune and go on to Purdue Community College and then go to the University of Cincinnati from there. But it blessed me to, you know, to live and, and, and meet people. And I meet my wife, most importantly, and, uh, you know, have my kids in the process. And then, you know, I I can't – words can't, can't express uh, how football has blessed me as far as young people blessing me. You know, people always say we've been impacting young people, but the young people have have – Man, they've they changed me. You know, they've been a huge blessing to me. You know, and it's always it forced me to to live a way that I don't, you know, that that I don't know if I would have been able to not, you know, doing what not doing what I do. You know, so uh, I've been blessed. The kids have been a, a huge blessing to me. You know, and of course they always say thank you and appreciate you, coach. But you know, if any of them listen right now, I just like to say it, uh, that I thank and appreciate them for being a blessing to me and inspired me. John, is there a program or a certain coach when you look back at your playing days or even now um, coming up through the ranks of coaching, being a defensive coordinator and assistant coach, uh, a man that you could point to or a certain staff that you kind of look back and say, boy, they had a big impact right there uh, at a turning point in my life? As far as a player, uh, I, well, I, man, that's tough. Uh, just dealing with football uh, – I'll start with with with, with uh, you know high school. It was coach, you know, Coach Breland, man. Uh, and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time together. Uh, you know, you you know, not to shade anybody, but he was just he was the guy that impacted me the most because we spent a lot of time outside of football. It took me to work. You know, uh, growing up, you know, in a single parent home, man. I you know anywhere I could help, my, take some stress out of mama. You know, uh, working. You know, he was the guy. I always picked me up. I remember Hollywood five o'clock in the morning, man, and mm-hmm. still they would make it back to the workout. And you know, he he played a role from from that standpoint. Uh, Coach Jones at Purdue Community College, man, huge impact on me. Uh, kind of, I believe he's the one that kind of steered me to coaching. You know, because uh, we we maintained a relationship 
well after Purvis Community College. We actually talked to this day. And uh, and my, my head coach at the University of Cincinnati, man, Coach Menner, um, you can't can't judge his impact on our lives through wins and losses. He, he his main thing was making sure sure we graduated. And uh, if you go back and look at the University of Cincinnati graduation rate from the time before I was there and after I was there, man, we had a high graduation rate. And uh, you know things like that, man, has molded me. You know, you know, just speaking from a football standpoint, we can't get into the you know my entire right. life, but just from a football standpoint. Those guys, you know, uh, you know, again, just playing and working at Picayune, I mean, was was huge for me. Uh, we have great, you know, great coach staff and guys are gonna push you. And uh, but Coach Collins, I, I consider him, a, a, you know, Coach Collins and Dye Lee. I'm all, I'm always have to say, you know, a, a sort of guys that you know I drew, I drew a lot from. John, when you look at Coach Breland, it's, it's interesting you bring bring him up, Coach Jim Breland. Now the I guess the junior high principal at Picayune and uh, the truck, man, like I passed it still and I hadn't seen it lately, but it's probably still out there. The <laughs> truck that this cat drives to his job, man, as a grown man with two good incomes coming to the house, he's just not going to waste any money on his truck, John, and it is a trip to see it parked on the uh, boulevard hey. for school. I, I tell people humility will get you a long way, man, just being humble, you know, hey, and that's that's the best way to describe him. Uh, he been driving that truck a long time. Yes, <laughs> I he has. Working with him, I said, Coach, you wonder down. He said, Oh boy, I ain't worried about that. He'll leave the wonder <laughs> down. It, it didn't matter, man. And, he still, and I still pass by. And you still see the wonders roll down, and it's to say, you know, just just humble. Yeah, man. They, yeah, hard to come by right there, man. That's a, that's a good dude you just brought up. Not to slight anyone, just a personal. Uh, just personal with him, and so that's uh, yeah, that was a good one you brought up there. And then Coach Jones, we Jeff and I would have him on the show, John, but we're trying to figure out the beat button. <laughs> <for> <laughs> Coach Jones, math every now and then we have to get up. Man, I walked after a PRCC game when Jason and Jeff and I did uh, radio with him. You talk about a good dude, but maybe polar opposite. Uh, from Coach Breland and kind of the way they carried themselves. And yeah, Coach yeah, Jones, yeah. so intense, man. And I walked off. He was visiting with somebody in his family. I said, that dog on Coach Jones. He's talking to a, to somebody in his family just like he talked to you and I. I was just laughing, yeah. man. Such yeah, a, man. a fun spirit in Coach Jones. Yeah, yeah, man. Coach Jones, I, like I said, I speak, we speak from time to time. Of course, with the rules, it's hard to. You know, by me being a high school head coach, you know, we can't speak like we like we would normally do in the past. But, yeah, man, he's a good guy. Man, I have some good guys, you know, being able to work like I always go back to my first six years working at Picky Young, just watching the way Coach Lee handled his handle, handle business and, you know, and watching every man play their role and different things like that, all that stuff, man. I can go on and on, man, but I, I'm quite sure you got some other questions you want to ask. Yeah, Coach Jones is now the defensive coordinator over at a good Coleman team, and he's certainly going to field a, a good yeah. defense whenever he's out in front of it. We know that about yes, him. Sir. John, your Stone Club, uh, two and two on a year, and I've had a chance to kind of look inside Huddle and honestly prepare for the Popperville broadcast. Well, going to be on Friday night. Now, of course, going to be on Thursday night. It's going to be uh, tomorrow. And – Everybody, when I flipped on Huddle, I was like, well, this is going to be the Carlos Brown show. But it was the other Brown out wide that kind of opened my eyes, John. I wasn't aware I'd see another one out there. Yeah. <laughs> we always said the Brown boys do all right. We'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, he's a basketball. He played basketball. He was a middle school uh, football player. played basketball the last couple of years, and he decided to come out and play this year. And uh, been a tremendous boost for us, you know, take some of that pressure off Carlos. You know, but uh, so we we glad to have him, and hopefully, hopefully he can help us out tomorrow night. Yeah, and then the Hickman kid at quarterback, uh, John, he he does enough to get Brown the ball and be able to make plays after the catch, huh? Yeah, man, uh, he's you know like I said, that kid's a leader. Uh, uh, he's a good kid. He's a leader. You know, one of the leaders of our ball club, and uh, does whatever we ask him to do. A little more comfortable this year than he was last year doing what we do. Last year was his first year to play quarterback, you know, in high school. So he had some bumps. I mean, you know, but he stuck with it, man, and works and grinds every day. He comes with great energy. So, like you say, he does enough more than enough for us sometimes, man. 
you know, we're glad to have him with us too. He's a baseball commit. So uh, anytime we can steal something from another sport, man, it's on. We, you know, we, we try to share over there. So well, It's funny you say that, John. I, I was talking to Jason Baker this morning, a friend of yours and mine, and, of course, our sideline guy. Me and Jeff put up with him on Friday night. But uh, we were talking about the Brown kid, the wide receiver, and I said, man, I don't know this for a fact, but I snuck and listened to some of the broadcasts on the Facebook Live or whatever. And that's the basketball coach, if I'm correct, doing color on those broadcasts. I said, if that ain't his coach, because every time he get it out wide, you could hear his old voice jump a little bit, proud of his basketball <laughs> guy. So I, I kind of yeah. got a kick out of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You you dead on with that one. That's, uh, that's, stuff, that's Coach Miller out here, basketball coach. You know they they've been doing that broadcasting for us for you know for five years. Well, five years I've been there. Uh, but yes, that's true. Yeah, him and Wayne do a good job too, man. That's a good yeah, crew. They do an awesome job. Yeah, that's a pretty good crew, man. They follow us. You know, win, lose, draw. You know, they're gonna be there for us, man. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Tell us about the. Uh, Carlos Brown, we, we've gone long enough. We've kind of handed around. Tell us about this back, John. He was good last year, and if eyes weren't open when he put up, I guess, 350 or whatever he did a couple weeks ago, uh, kind of peeled some more eyes open. Tell, tell us about this junior back you've got. Ah, man, uh, Carlos actually played He played for us as a, true, as a freshman, and, uh, you know, he, was, he had uh, 1,700 yards rushing last year as a sophomore. And, you know, I mean, you know how we are as coaches. Hopefully he can duplicate or do more, you know, going into his junior year. Uh, but, man, Carlos is a great football player, great athlete, you know. Uh, but most importantly, man, he's a good kid. And he, he's, he's a humble kid, you know, kind of kid. Coach, a coach's kid, you know, just he, he don't worry about how he look on Fridays, man. Uh, I was speaking to his parents the other day. He. He didn't want new cleats. He, you know, just one of those kids who just wants to play, man. Play and have fun. Do whatever he can to help us win. Uh, never cries for the ball. Never talks about blocking. I mean, you know, the kind of stuff, you know, as a coach, that's what you want. You don't always get, but I've been blessed. I've been blessed since I've been here to have two special guys in the backfield, you know, uh, with Terry on Avery coming before yeah. him. But this kid here is very special, man. He's John, let's look. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. As I mentioned, man, you're a defensive guy. Um, talk about the way your defense has performed. They, they, when you look at what they've done, it's been like two different teams on that defensive side. They put up some great performances, <laughs> and then they gave some stuff up, man. That's yeah. got to make it fun for Nakisha uh, and the kids on, on those weekends when one don't show, huh? Yeah, man. I, you just. I... You know, dealing with oh, we 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 joke and we say, man, you know, you're dealing with 15 to 16 year old kids, you just never know. But man, honestly, and I said the same thing last year, but uh, we we're really uh, young still on defense. We're we're playing a lot of uh, sophomores, first timers. You know, uh, I got two sophomore defensive linemen and uh, you know our junior linebackers. You know, so we we pretty young, man. Our uh, first time corner never played. He hadn't played football since sixth or seventh grade. I, but um, you know, had blown some versus Moss Point uh, a couple weeks ago. But if they come to play, man, I got to tell them they 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 could be one of the best defenses around. But then you know, with the team we were playing, Moss Point was very explosive. Not to make any excuses for us. But like I say, they're kids, and you know, when we made our adjustment, I was a, I was so proud. I treated it as a victory because we made an adjustment. They only gave up two touchdowns after we made the adjustment. But I think we made that adjustment a little too late. John, when you look at this district and particularly the game that that's going to be played tomorrow night, a big win over Purvis. What do you see uh, the rest of the way in district, and then you kind of know what you're going to get in this Popperville group tomorrow night. In the district, Popperville. Even though Green County won last year, uh, it's still close to the top of the field, man. Uh, they always had a staple uh, even before we got in it. Uh, you know, we try to take it one game at a time, man. You can ask me who I got the next week. I, I won't even know, man. I just try to focus on the next game. And uh, and, and this next game, the next game is always the most important game. But really, this is the most important game 
Uh, we could pretty, we could tell where we at as a ball club. However, it turn out tomorrow, we'll we'll know, we'll find out a lot about our team. So, uh, like I said, you know, coach always has a great ball puts puts a great ball club on the field. And I always people ask me about Popperville all the time. I say, uh, you know, they say, well, what about the wing team? I just say belief. You know, it's a belief system. You're not playing a football team. You're playing against a belief system. Those kids believe in what they're doing. They believe in their coaches. And it shows each and every Friday night. How much of that aspect of it, John, does it remind you of uh, Coach Collins in a way? And really uh, to Coach Dodd-Lee and that running system. I mean, that's two guys that, uh, you've had a chance to get a first-hand look at that both of those offenses truly believe in what they're doing, even though the defense may know exactly what's coming at them. Well, I, I say that's the key, man. Like, that's the key. The belief is the key. Um, I, I think the belief has all, all, you know, all to do with, with the success that they've had. Um, you, you, can't, you can't run the wing D everywhere. You can't run the uh, single wing everywhere. You can't, you know... <laughs> It's funny, man. People will say, "Don't oh, y'all think that I ran Carlos too much?" I say, "We had twenty carries." I say, "Where <laughs> I'm from, you just getting started." You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what me and hey, look, me and Jason had a similar conversation. I said, "John ain't checking up at twenty carries." I said, "He done seen more than that firsthand." No, man. I, I mean, I told you know, I try to tell people I'm used to kids want they want it more. I I, I remember watching Preston carry the ball thirty nine times one night. You know. Uh, so, I mean, uh, even when I was in high school, you know, the running backs that I played with. So, that's, that, you know, that's what you try to duplicate, man. You're trying to duplicate some, you know, some belief systems. Uh, although we're a spread team, man, we run the ball. Uh, we're a running team. We're a running team. And we're going to do whatever we can to win each and every Friday night, man. You know it. I mean, you ask about it, it starts with, with Brown. So, if, if, if one Brown can get going, the other one can get going. You know, that's what that is. They open up things, make things easy for for, for uh, Hickman at quarterback. So, but again, the belief system, man. I, you know, I always tell people, Coach Lee did a great job making us believe, uh, and I was play for that, be a part of that, coach with him, going on Coach Collins. Uh, he, you know, and you know, at Perth Central, man, if you don't believe, I mean, you ain't gonna win many balls. Yeah. So, yeah. Now that was that. You know, being a part of of that and going up there and helping us. Uh, you know, helping Coach Collins and him, you know, showing me things like that has, has really helped me. That's, that's why I don't hang my head just just, just bear down, you know. Things not going good, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like at the end of the tunnel. I learned that from him, man, because you can have some tough days, you know. So, but if your kids believe, you always got a chance. Yeah, there's a lot of life lesson in that too, huh, John? Yeah, that's it, man. Hey, I, I told my kids today, man, football is easy, man. Football is easy. <laughs> You know, when, when, but when you think about life, you start losing loved ones and your child is sick. That's when it get hard. So, mm. you know, that, that's it, man. You're right. Yeah. John, man, we can't thank you enough. We know it's the night before a big ball game for you. So we appreciate you letting us steal some time this evening. Nah, man, I appreciate you guys calling, man. Y'all keep keep doing what you do. I had someone in uh, Hattiesburg. I was up there, man. Somebody asked me about about your guys' uh, podcast and everything. So, man, I you know, I, I enjoy being on. I'm, I'm appreciative of uh, you guys reaching out to me. Absolutely, John, man. We appreciate you and uh, look forward to seeing you tomorrow night, bud. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you, John. The Greater Pecuniary Chamber of Commerce provides the tools you need to succeed as a business owner and community influencer. As a member of the Chamber, your commitment has personal payback. The Chamber offers numerous opportunities to get involved throughout the year, whether it is through networking events, committee involvement, community programs, or special events. By taking advantage of the Chamber's resources, your business can develop and thrive. Visit us at greaterpicunechamber.org or drop by our office, which is located at 201 Highway 11 North. We are fortunate enough now to be joined by the publisher of the rebelgrove.com and Neil McCready. Neil, I'll let them go through all the podcasts that you either host, co-host, or, or do spots like this on, man. I started working through that, and I said the introduction would be the 10 or 12 minutes that we've got with Neil. <laughs> yeah, we, we we do a good many there at uh, MPW Digital, which is kind of a separate thing from rebelgrove.com, but it's 
all sort of interlinked and I'm not sure I can name them all on the, at the drop <laughs> of a hat. We do, we do a lot. Y'all do a good job of covering the Ole Miss Rebels. And, uh, Neil, of course, that's the reason we wanted to have you on. A, a big win uh, last week over Kentucky. And two games in, Neil, has the, the lane train, the, the kiffin, all the hype going in. Uh, two games in, kind of hard to ask. But has it lived up to what you kind of thought it would be to this point in the year? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, it is a different kind of year, obviously, because, you know, the COVID stuff and, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to judge. We don't have any access at all to practice or any of that kind of thing. So I've seen what you've seen if you've watched the games. Um, but yeah, there's more energy around the program. There's no question about that. There's more energy inside the program. It seems to be, he's a, uh, he's a very good coach. He's got a good staff. It's a long process. You, um, can't forget that a year ago this was a four and eight football team. It was, and people can talk about close and this and close and that. And four and eight, four and eight. You, you are what the numbers say you are. And so, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I, they they clearly are a better offensive team. They're more dynamic. They uh, they utilize the quarterback position much better. Uh, defensively, you can see where there's a lack of talent. There's a lack of speed. There's a lack of size. That's not a great combination in this league. And uh, they've had a hard time stopping anybody. But, you know, I've said all along, I think this is kind of a year zero for Kiffin, especially given the COVID thing and the, the, the dead period in recruiting and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a really long-winded answer to answer. Yeah, I think so. Well, Neil, when you look at this weekend's game with Alabama, do you think that's going to take place? At five on Saturday, or what? What's your prediction on that? I know y'all covered it on at least one of the shows I listened to or watched on YouTube earlier. Uh, I believe that was this afternoon. Yeah, I started watching this thing on uh, on Tuesday morning. Where it was pretty obvious that that um, this could impact games, and sure enough, by the end of the day, LSU and Missouri had had, had moved. It wasn't made official until this morning, but but that was done and. Look, I think everything's on the table. I think moving it up a day to Friday is possible. Moving it back a day to Sunday is possible. That's probably not something that either team really wants to do. Um, leaving it on Saturday and just playing in what would be a tropical depression at that point is certainly possible. In fact, if you made me handicap the odds, I would say that's the favorite. They could move it to November the 7th. Um that seems to be sort of tempting the COVID gods a little bit. If you do that, they could move it to December the 12th. Um, that also is tempting the COVID gods a little bit. Look, they've had a lot of success around the league so far through two weeks of no COVID breakouts, but we've seen, you know, with the NFL, with the Titans and the Patriots now, I mean, those things can pop up out of nowhere and they built the schedule so that there would be two open dates for COVID makeup games. And I think they're just, petrified as you see with LSU and Missouri moving to Como I think they're petrified at the thought of of losing a game because of weather when there are some alternatives look you could move it to Tuscaloosa they're uh, they're not going to be in the cone maybe you could move it to Atlanta I'm making stuff up at this point right. I, I don't know there there are things you can do in a scenario where you're not particularly worried about crowds and and all of that stuff I mean those those are non-factors this year I think they'd like to get the game in. I think they'd like to get the game in by Saturday. If they're going to play it on Friday, they're going to have to reschedule it tomorrow early. I think you're going to hear an announcement tomorrow one way or the other. And, um, you know, they'll go from there. So, but I think everything everything is on the table in terms of, of how they get the game in and if they get the game in. Everything except for, I guess, Zoom or virtually, huh, Neil? Oh yeah, I don't. I, I don't think you can play a football game on Zoom. I, I'm sure Ole Miss would. Ole Miss might prefer to play the game on Zoom uh, when, it, when it's all said and done. But they do everything else on Zoom. It's amazing. Um, I've, I've never in my life thought that I would cover a football season basically on Zoom. But by golly, we're doing it. Yeah, Neil. When you look at, I mean, a heavy underdog that Ole Miss is. You look. You talk about the change from a year ago. A year ago, I don't believe Ole Miss's coach is going to be on the Dan Patrick show like I heard 
laying on this morning, and he sounded so comfortable and loose. Yeah. For a guy that does what you do uh, for a living, how fun is it to have a guy like that to cover? Well, I don't know that I would use the word fun. Um, he's interesting to cover. I um, I have found him to be uh, good for business. Um, he, well, that's he's fun, with, huh, Neil? Oh, that is definitely fun. That is, uh, <laughs> that is definitely good. He's he's different with national media than he is with us. Um, I mean, you know, and, and look, I'm a realist, guys. I, I'm I'm not one of these people that thinks I'm important. Um, I'm not. So I can't do a lot for Lane Kiffin for what he wants to do. Lane Kiffin wants to be wants to turn Ole Miss into a national brand. Now, people hear you say that and they say, well, you know, that's not realistic. We'll see. I mean, you could be right. He could be right. Who knows? I mean, the jury is – to say that the jury is out, the jury doesn't even have the case yet. Um, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to make Ole Miss football a national brand. To do that, you have to reach out nationally and become become national. And he has all of these contacts because of his personality and his Twitter personality and such that uh, the national people love him, Barstool and Dan Patrick and all of these people. And um, he's he's got a unique story. Like you said, he's really laid back with the national people. He's sort of in on the joke. He's good at it. With us, he's a lot more – reserved he's a lot more um guarded and frankly in those zoom calls like that some of the local guys are so insistent on asking these hardcore football questions you know lane tell me about your backup tight end well he's not going to do that he doesn't do those types of questions and so it can be a little frustrating really when you're, you're you're trying to occasionally get a little more from him but it's all good i mean listen you know, in a couple of years, when Alabama comes back to Ole Miss in 2022, we're gonna we're gonna know whether this is working or not. You know, you won't know Saturday, assuming the game yeah. gets played Saturday. Alabama is leaps and bounds ahead of Ole Miss as a program, as a team, culturally, everything right now. Um, it, you know, but two years from now, it'll be fascinating to see how much ground Lane Kiffin has or has not made up on Alabama when he's had two and a half years to put his stamp on the program. Neil, when you talk about the stamp, Rebel fans and for what for what y'all do, a closest eye off the field when it comes to recruiting on the high school level or on the field this year, is that kind of a 50-50 race right now? Um, you know, I, I can't speak for fans. I can tell you that on the field what's important for him and his program is to put a program on – the screen that looks fun and looks appealing to young people. And I think they've done that, not only with the way that they play offense and the way that they're trying to play defense, but with some of the stuff that they're doing on the sidelines, um, you know, with uh, the money bag and with the chain and just all the stuff that they do. I think that's important. And then secondly, you know, for them, it's all about recruiting, and they're having to recruit differently. They're having to recruit via Zoom and FaceTime and things like that. That was not the plan. The plan was to recruit aggressively in the spring, to use some of the official visits in the spring, to use spring practice as a canvas to show elite prospects that, hey, we don't have the players here yet, but here's how we're going to try to use guys like you, and when we get guys like you, we're going to take a big step. Well, they couldn't do that because of COVID, obviously. That kicked in. They lost the entire spring. They lost all of the summer evaluation periods. And now the, the dead period goes through the end of the calendar year at the least. So from a recruiting standpoint, I think their plan's been backed up a year. But they've done the smart thing. They haven't panicked. They haven't gone and taken commitments from a lot of kids that they wouldn't otherwise take. They, um, they're being selective. That's drawn some criticism. But that is – their, that is their process that they plan to follow. And so I think what you'll see from them is a little more aggression in the, uh, in the transfer market at the end of this year. They've got some scholarships they can use. And I think you'll see them just sort of keep their powder dry a little bit. And hopefully not only for football, but for everything, for all of us, we get back to some degree of normalcy at some point in 2021. And I'm sure that's what they're hoping so that in the spring of 2021, they can sort of begin to execute the plan that they had in place for the spring of 2020. When you look at the SEC as a whole, Neil, 
Is it Alabama and everybody else this year, or do you see something differently there? Certainly in the West, it's Alabama and every, everybody else. I don't think there's anybody in the West who's even close to Alabama. I do think teams are better in a couple of spots. I think, I think Ole Miss is better because they're so much better on offense. It's going to allow them an opportunity to compete in games that a year ago they couldn't compete in. I think it's clear through two games that Arkansas is better. Um, they're not a good team. They're not a good offense. But that listen, Sam Pittman put together a really good coaching staff up there with Kendall Bryles and with Barry Odom, and they're they're better at quarterback. Franks gives them a, an efficient guy that can sort of manage games a little bit. They they haven't had that in years. Um, I think Auburn is about where they were a year ago. Um, okay, LSU's obviously taking a step back. Obviously, you, 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 there's no way you can be right. better than they were a year ago. We all knew they'd take a step back. They had a horrible plan against Mississippi State. It cost them a game. But they're still a very athletic team. And then, you know, State's going to be fascinating because it's Leach and it's, he's going to run the air raid. He's going to do his thing. And yet, I, I don't know. You know, you look at two weeks and it's just it's the, whole Mike Leach, the whole Mike Leach experience in an eight-day period. They knock off a they knock off the team that's better than them, and then seven days later they get beat by a team that's worse than them. Because in one in one game LSU's um, you know Bo Pelini had an awful plan, just an awful plan for the air raid, and he paid for it. And the next week I thought Barry Odom and Arkansas had a great plan for it, and they stuck to it and they executed it, and they kind of got out of there with the win that. You know, it was a big shock. I mean, were they a 17-point dog? And, yeah. And they win that game. So, I don't know. The West is okay. And then I'm, I'm – I have the opinion that something's wrong at Texas A&M. They don't look right to me. But I do a show uh, with Chris Landry every Tuesday and Friday called SEC Football and Beyond, and he's still pretty high on, on Texas A&M. And he thinks they're going to be impressive on Saturday against Florida, even though they might lose the game. I disagree with him. I think – I think they've got losses coming, and it looks to me like there's something cultural there. But, but yeah, the, the West is, is all Alabama, unless Alabama just implodes. And Alabama never implodes. No, you're right about that. Neil, man, we appreciate uh, you taking time for the podcast. We know you've got a lot going, just trying to even describe the different podcasts. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, it was tough to do. We appreciate your coverage, Old Miss, and thanks for taking time for us tonight. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. Your family's health is our mission. At Highland Community Hospital and in partnership with Forest Health Systems, we offer a wide range of health care options. The Highland Center for Women's Health provides total obstetrical and gynecological care for women of any age. Our goal is quality care for you and your family through the compassionate application of advanced medicine. Highland Community Hospital, the best choice for your family. We're now joined by columnist Jeff Duncan, who writes for The Athletic. He also is a recent author of Peyton and Breeze, the men who built the greatest offense in NFL history. And Jeff, let's start there, man. That's a heck of a title. We appreciate you joining the podcast tonight. Yeah, Clay, Jeff, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate uh, the invitation. And, uh, yeah, it is a pretty bold title, but I think you can make a pretty strong argument uh, that they do have the greatest offense in, in NFL history. I make that argument in the book. Uh, you know, they gain more yards than anybody in history over the, the 14, 15 years they've been together, broken almost every record uh, in, in the NFL record book as far as passing is concerned, and they've done it at such a high level for such a long period of time. I think that distinguishes – what the Saints have done over the other prolific offenses like the greatest show on turf that we, we all know in St. Louis, the Air Coriel Chargers, uh, you know, back in the, in the Chargers days with this, uh, in San Diego, and also, uh, of course, the Walsh, Montana, Seifert, Young, 49ers. No one's done it at this high level, at this prolific rate, for as long as the New Orleans Saints in the, in the history of the NFL. Yeah, when I looked at the title, Jeff, and I have to mention you're the uh, the longest-running journalist in the nation to cover the New Orleans Saints, so certainly uh, to put that into context with people. I mean, if you're a sports fan, we're over in Picayune. We're 50 miles from 
uh, New Orleans. If, if you don't know who Jeff Duncan is, and hadn't hadn't read a, a piece or two by him at his days at the Times Picayune, and then uh, what he's of course doing with the Athletic, I, I apologize to you as a sports fan. But so when I read the title, the first one that jumped off to me was you know the West Coast offense, and you named it right there as being a contender. Uh, how does it stack up or, or different from uh, Walsh and that West Coast offense? Well, that's a great question, Clay. Uh, and I think that's the only offense that truly you could make an argue an argument for that could rival the Saints. Uh, they did it for a long period of time. The difference is, uh, you know, Bill Walsh yielded to um, George Seifert. Uh, Joe Montana, of course, moved on, and Steve Young took over. So you had a different quarterback and a different head coach uh, in that offense, uh, which actually speaks pretty highly of of the offensive system out there with the 49ers. But the fact that these two men have been together and done it for as long as they have in New Orleans and continued to evolve, and I think that's the thing that's fascinated me the most, is that it's never gotten stale in New Orleans. We, we saw what happened to Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Andy Reid's a great coach. I think everyone knows that. But he had to move on. The, the voice got, you know, for whatever reason, they needed a new voice there. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Mike McCarthy. I know he's not off to a great start uh, with Dallas, but I covered him here in New Orleans and, and thought he was a tremendous coach in New Orleans. And he did tremendous work up in Green Bay, but it got old on him between him and Aaron Rodgers. He had to move on, even though he won a Super Bowl and they've done tremendous things with the Packers. But it's never gotten to that point here, and I think that is remarkable. Uh, it's, a, it's a significant achievement that two people at that high a level have never butted heads. They've never really had any really cross words, uh, as far as I can tell. They're, everybody's lying to me, <laughs> including <laughs> all the players and coaches around them. But I, I just think it's a remarkable story that they've lasted this long and been able to continue to evolve. Once again, we're joined by Jeff Duncan, the columnist for The Athletic here on the Shell Group Insurance Hotline. And, Jeff, the, the title of the book, as Clay mentioned, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History with Peyton and Breeze, if you go back to the days where the fans were wearing the bags over their head and tell them that there's going to be a tandem coaching quarterback come along in this uh, program to have the greatest offensive in NFL history. What would what would the fans or what are Saints fans saying about that? I know the the records and the stats speak for themselves, but I guess in a, to make a long question short is just how'd you go about preparing for this book, talking to fans, players, however you got all the information for this title in this book. Well, Jeff, that's a great point about how far they've come. If you think about the old Carl Smith days and uh, you know, the Jim Mora teams, old school Saints fans certainly had to suffer through some really tough offensive nights to get to this point. And, and they're rewarded with this great, remarkable run uh, because, man, there were some rough days back in back in the <laughs> 70s and 80s with this offense. Uh, and the quarterback position, as you all know, was just the bane of the existence of all Saints fans. The Saints had not had a Pro Bowl quarterback except for uh, was all the way back to Archie Manning, I think, had gone to one Pro Bowl. So the decades of not having a great quarterback, uh, a revolving door at that position, which was so important to win games. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, Drew Brees falls almost into their lap. And you have to really give Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton all the credit in the world for rolling the dice on a guy who had an injured shoulder, not a lot of people in the league, willing to take a chance on him and look how it turned out. It really does uh, speak wonders to their uh, intuition and, uh, you know, their scouting and uh, their ability to read a person. Because if we all see how remarkable Drew Brees is as a leader and how confident he is, and they saw that in him early when they really didn't have a track record with him. Uh, but to get to your other point about the book, uh, look, I went first to Drew and Sean and approached them and said, if I, if I, uh, attempt this project will you participate will you will you buy into it and be a part of it and both of them signed on and were more than uh, willing to participate I had a lot of sit downs with them a lot of time with both of them uh, and that meant a lot to me obviously the book would not have been 
as detailed and as insightful without their participation. Uh, but I also had 15 years of of material just from covering the team over the years and the interviews I've had with both of them. And uh, it really some of the most interesting stuff I got was visiting with the offensive coaching staff, of course, Curtis Johnson, uh, Dan Campbell, Joe Lombardi, Pete Carmichael, that group has been together for a long time. And their insight into how Sean Payton and Drew Brees work and what's made them successful uh, was really invaluable uh, to the book. And, and the other thing that I did in the book, guys, is I tried to peel back the curtain a little bit on how this offense, uh, offensive game plan is put together what the, the amount of work, the amount of time, energy is spent from Monday to Sunday, what goes into putting together an offensive game plan with the New Orleans Saints. And I think that is something that your listeners and the readers of the book will really uh, find interesting because it's, it's an enormous amount of work that goes into a game plan each week with, with the Saints and their attention to detail. Jeff, the success, of course, these numbers have led to Great success, a Super Bowl title to their credit. I think it was Gleason that I heard quoted about the culture shift when, when he could kind of see uh, the culture shift. Is some of that covered in the book, too, in the way that you, you mentioned uh, Drew Brees' leadership ability, but the way that Peyton must be just one heck of a leader to shift that culture as quickly as he did? Well, I, I think it, it's a really great question because I, I think – Ultimately, that's going to be the greatest uh, part of their legacy. You know, as many games as they've won, as many records as they've broken, more than that, uh, they change the perception and culture of an entire organization. And and an organization that has always been considered something of an also-ran, frankly. I know they've been competitive, uh, you know, in the Mora and even in the Hazlitt tenures, but They'd never really won but one playoff game in, in the four decades before Sean and Drew arrived. And to turn around uh, an organization culturally and to do it so quickly and to change the perception to where free agents now want to come to New Orleans. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders told his agent to seek out the Saints. You know, be, just think about that, guys. 20, yeah. 25 years ago, players were dying to get out of here. Uh, that is an enormous change, and it's really a, a credit to the work that Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis is certainly a big part of that, and uh, Drew Brees. So many players, coaches want to come here and play with Drew Brees and what he's been able to accomplish. Um, so that's, I think, the biggest, the greatest testament and the greatest part of their legacy. And, Jeff, it's kind of going along the same cultural lines there. You're a guy not born and raised there, but you've covered them uh, for long enough. I'm sure the buy-in from from everybody is there. But uh, New Orleans, a different city in that uh, it's a big city, yeah. But it's uh, more, you know, where'd you go to high school? You know, it's a it's a different type of city in the fact that Drew Brees and Sean Payton. If you didn't know any better, you would think they were from around here in the way that. Uh, the way that they really buy into that culture. You see the stories of Sean, uh, Drew Brees and Trombone Shorty and Red Beans on Monday night and Peyton, the way that they both have truly embraced that city and what the city's about. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I think that is. Both of these guys, are just, they eat, sleep, and breathe football. They're as passionate about the sport is anyone I've ever come across. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've gotten along and been such a great, uh, been such great partners over, over this time because they both are just into it, if you will. And that, that certainly is true of people in the Gulf coast region. Uh, This is the most football passionate part of the entire nation. Let's face it. The sec West is here. This (laughs) footprint over the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, I had an NFL official tell me years ago when there was a lot of talk about the Saints potentially moving, and he said, we're never going to let a team leave New Orleans. He said, if we did that, you'd have no team from Houston and Dallas all the way over to Atlanta, and that's the most rabid, mm-hmm. football-mad part of our country. We, we, we have to have a team in New Orleans. And I think this, uh, 
Breeze and Peyton quickly identified with that passion for the game and, and, and relished in it. I think they love playing here, love coaching here, and love the people. The people are so madly passionate about the New Orleans Saints. They consider them family. It's just a unique environment. i got to tell you guys, when I came here in 2000, I didn't know that. I mean, when I moved to New Orleans in 99, I knew the Saints were popular, but I had no idea it was this kind of Green Bay Packers, Pittsburgh Steelers level of fan uh, passion. And it's been one of the, the truly refreshing and uh, most rewarding things of my career here is being a part of that because you know that everything you write is going to be read. People are totally into what you're writing about and care about it and are very knowledgeable about it. Uh, so it's, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better position and, and, and then getting on here right when, of course, it all kind of took off in the organization, being able to document that's been pretty special. Jeff, when you look at it, basketball that way in the state of Kentucky, or is it a different type of uh, fandom? No, it's very similar. Uh, you know, Kentucky basketball reminds me so much of LSU football or Alabama football. Uh, it's a source of pride for, let's face it, some states that don't have a lot of other things where they right. rank among the top things in the country. So Kentucky basketball, Louisville basketball, uh, winning national championships, finishing on top is very much, I think, similar to LSU and Alabama football and the New Orleans Saints. It gives people of the state uh, something to be uh, proud about, something to stick their chest out about when uh, they look at all these other rankings and see them down near the bottom. Unfortunately, uh, we had a lot of those low rankings when I was growing up in Kentucky. Uh, so it was something to identify with. And, and I, I think it's very similar. And, and I really believe that uh, one of the reasons Sean and Drew have become so popular here is because we haven't had great leaders here. Unfortunately, there's been a long, uh, sordid track record of uh, failed political leaders here, some corruption in government, uh, not a lot of really strong business leaders. And all of a sudden here steps into the fold, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, two of the greatest leaders in sports, combined together at the same time, and people immediately gravitated to that strong leadership, and we're seeing it to this very day. The way they handled the game up in Detroit, where a lot of people were trying to make excuses, how many players were hurt, and, and the COVID situation overnight, and that people lack sleep. And when we talked to Sean after the game, first thing he said was, you know, that doesn't matter. I'm not making excuses for that. A lot of people got worse issues in their lives. A lot of teams in this league have bigger injury issues than we have. We're not making excuses. That strong leadership I think it's very refreshing. I think that's why Saints fans have, have followed these people so religiously and celebrate them so much. Just like a good columnist would, you got us into a transition there, Jeff. Tell people where they can find the book before we turn our attention to the 2020 uh, New Orleans Saints, how they can follow you on social media if they want to, and then also how they can go purchase the book we've been talking about. Well, my Twitter handle is at Jeff Duncan. I got a little underscore tail on the end because some guy in California has got the Jeff Duncan handle and I've tried to buy it from him and he won't sell it. So <laughs> I'm going to keep working that. Maybe if I sell a lot of books, I'll, I'll be able to say on that. Uh, but also, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can find my work at The Athletic. We've got a great deal right now, guys. I mean, new subscribers, $12 a year, $1 a month to get all the great uh, work that we have. Catherine Terrell, my colleague, and Larry Holder, we're all over the Saints. Uh, We have great LSU beat writer and and Brody Miller. Uh, And it's really just the old Tom Stickyune staff. We just kind of moved over to the athletic. And then the book will be released in bookstores. I'm sure it'll be in local bookstores over there in Mississippi and Picayune, all throughout the Gulf Coast next week on October 13th. But you could order it right now online at Amazon or at Triumph Books, the publisher, and they'll ship it out to you in a, in a day or two. You'll get it in your hands. And I'm going to be doing book signings here coming up or around the region. So if you go to my Facebook page at Jeff Duncan or go to the Peyton and Breeze Facebook page, which is uh, you know targeted just for that information, I'll have a listing of book signings. Hopefully I'll be over in that area uh, sometime in the next couple of months, certainly before the holidays where I can get out in person and do some uh, author signings at some local bookstores. Yeah, I saw your book signing list, and I was uh, one of my pre-prior to all this COVID uh, stuff, uh, the past bookstore there on the beach, and you're 
on the beach drinking coffee and reading. So we got to get you there, Jeff. That's a a, a neat bookstore there on the Gulf Coast, and that'd be an is ideal place. Is that the one place, in uh, is that Past Christian? Is that where that's at? Or? It is. It is, and I'm sure that uh, they'd love to have you there. And that'd be if you like coffee in the beach, uh, that'd be a tough place to be. Yeah, I've been by that bookstore. I've not been in it, but it looks remarkable. And, uh, yeah, I would love to get over there. I know uh, Bay St. Louis also has a great local bookstore as well, and that's one of my favorite parts of the whole country, so I'd love to get over there soon. I know there's a ton of Saints fans in that area. Absolutely. All right, Jeff, you you mentioned the Detroit game. Um, A lot of guys out, of course. Kind of tell us your feel for this Saints club so far and what's been just such a funky year in so many ways and that's even for the Saints with the way that they've kind of got it started maybe right it right at the ship on the road there what do you think of this Saints 2020 version well I got to tell you I was really disappointed in the first three games it was kind of an enigma uh and I was befuddled why they were playing so poorly really on both sides of the ball in a lot of ways especially defensively and uh, they, I thought they looked more like the Saints team we expected to see in Detroit, especially offensively. And, and I thought Breeze played like the Drew Breeze we're used to seeing. The offense was really clicking. They got the running game going. That set up the play-action passing. And we've seen that machine work, right? I mean, scored on five straight drives. Uh, that is what I expect of the New Orleans Saints. And I, I think it's only going to continue to improve uh, with reps. I mean, Drew Brees is a guy who needs reps. And we all hear about it all the time he spends with his receivers after practice. He needed a preseason, uh, and it showed in how out of sync they were. But with Mike Thomas, I think, coming back this week, it sounds like he's going to be back. Uh, I think the offense is going to continue to improve. The defense I'm still concerned about, the back end, uh, some of the miscommunication, uh, coverage bus, obviously the pass interference penalties, it had become really a, a uh, you know, an epidemic right now. Eleven of them, team uh, NFL high. Uh, that's something that I did not anticipate. With going to training camp, uh, the, the secondary was playing great. Uh, they they looked like the best unit on the defense. But maybe we were all fooled, guys, by the yeah. fact there weren't officials there and they were getting <laughs> away with pass interference all the time. And when the games, uh, you know, started, uh, suddenly the flags started flying. But I do think they'll get that rectified. It happened a year ago, and they cleaned it up. And I think the, as banged up as they are, I still think, relatively speaking, they're in decent shape because the injuries that they do have haven't been season-ending uh, variety. Uh, so they should be able to get some of these guys back here. And the schedule gets manageable here over the next few weeks. I think they can put together you know, a, a nice little winning streak and set up that game down at Tampa in Week 8. Uh, which would be a big showdown for the for the lead in the NFC South. Absolutely. And, Jeff, when you write a book, Peyton and Breeze, and, you, and it's titled The Way It Is, and then they run a different guy out there to take snaps, even as impressive as he is, what's your opinion on the Taysom Hill project and the way at times this year it has looked bad? Now, in last year uh, it certainly worked, but at times this year it's really uh, stubbed the toe of the offense. Yeah, it, it looks to me like the, the rest of the league is caught up to it. And I think Sean and the rest of the offensive staff, I'm sure they've been working around the clock trying to figure out a way to get more creative with it, get back to some of the big plays that we saw from that package a year ago. And I think they're going to continue to use him. But for whatever reason, it has not worked really in any way. Uh, I know he's had a few nice runs, maybe nine, ten-yard runs, but uh, it has not been effective, and it's really – uh, to some degree, been the detriment to the offense because they've been rolling and then they bring in Taysom and suddenly yeah. they're going backwards and they're facing a you know second and long or whatever. But I know that Sean Payton has a lot of confidence in, in Taysom Hill. I really believe he's going to be the heir apparent. Now I'm not I'm not sure if he's going to be successful as the heir apparent, but I think he's going to have the opportunity to be successful uh, and be the guy to replace Drew Brees. I know Sean Payton's very high on his potential. And the one quarterback, the one thing I learned along the way doing the book project was, you know, a lot of quarterbacks have come in here and operated behind Breeze and tried to learn behind him. But the two that were in his hip pocket and were sponges with everything he did, adopted his his maniacal, like, training regimen and his, his study habits, 
the two quarterbacks that, that have done that the most were Chase Daniel and Taysom Hill. Mm. And I know that goes a long way in that building out there when they see someone that has the in, intuition to say, you know what, this is a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm going to get in his hip pocket and learn everything I can from him. And that's impressed the offensive coaching staff to the point that I think they they believe he's got a chance to be successful. They're not saying he will be. None of us are going to know that till he becomes right. the guy. But he's got the opportunity because of the way he prepares and everything he puts into it. Jeff, your opinion on Sean Payton staying around after Breeze is gone. How do you see that uh, transition? And by no means am I pushing Drew out the door, but just the way that you see that playing out over time. Well, if you'd asked me that three years ago, three or four years ago, and I actually have a, a pretty detailed chapter in the book about how close he came to leaving. I, I don't think fans understand just how tenuous it was in 2016, uh, but it almost happened. And mm. um, I would have thought he would not have been around once Drew hung it up, but that's not the case now. I think Sean's, I know Sean's very happy here. He just bought a new house uh, in Uptown. He's getting ready to get married, I think, in the next year. Uh, he's putting down roots here. This is home to him. And I think he's excited about the post-breeze here. I mean, he doesn't want to push Drew Brees out the door either by any means, but I think he's excited about the challenge of trying to construct an offense around another quarterback and seeing if they can be successful. That's just the way he's wired. Uh, it's, the, it's the same thing he did last year when Drew went down and Teddy Bridgewater took over. Mm-hmm. He saw that as a great challenge and something uh, as a test for his abilities as a coach. And I think he sees it the same way once Drew moves on. And I think Sean Payne's going to be here as long as, as, as they want him here. Jeff, just to shift gears one more time, man, in this interview, is there a head coach out there that you could potentially pair with Zion that uh, maybe years from now you're writing another book about whoever and Zion and something that they could put together for the Pelicans? Well, that's a good question. I would I would have liked Billy Donovan here because I have a lot of respect for him, uh, but he was really going to be a sought-after commodity on the market, and, and Chicago probably had more resources even than New Orleans could could uh, use to attract him down here. I'm a big fan of Kenny Atkinson. He's still available. I know that he has a history with Trajan Langdon. Uh, Kenny Atkinson's regarded as one of the best developers of young talent in the league, which would fit perfectly Mm. with this young roster. And I know in talking to David Griffin, he's really high on, and I'm not going to give you a name here, but he's high on some young, maybe under the radar assistants, not just here, in America, but also abroad, wow. people that he thinks could come in here and be the next great coach in the league. And, and he wants to find someone that's going to be the right fit for the culture that he's kind of started here. In a lot of ways, what he's done here is similar to what Sean Payton did back in 2006, kind of changing the culture at the, at the ground floor level. And he wants to find a coach that's going to fit into that same, um, you know, uh, have the same vision as he and Trajan Langdon and Swing Cash and the rest of the front office and buy into this this really, I think, incredibly um, high potential roster that they've got. They've got a lot of talent here, but they're not done, guys. I mean, they're going to they're gonna turn it over again. There's going to be some personnel changes here in the next few months. Uh, I think they needed that last year to see where they wanted to go, who fit, who didn't, and uh, I think they're not done uh, making changes out on Airline Drive. Yeah, it sounds like a complete basketball nerd, but that's kind of what I am. I love the front office setup and who they have in each spot there. If they can hold that, you would think that some good decisions are going to be made. Yeah, and i tell you, the other thing that helps out a lot is Gail Benson as an owner. Uh, she's been so impressive. Uh, she doesn't meddle. She leaves. She hires good people and lets them do their job, and that goes a long way. Uh, you know, in professional sports, there's so many other owners that don't do that. And that get, word gets out quickly uh, around professional sports circles. And coaches know that this is a very good situation here. You've got strong front office now. They're investing in the team much more so than they did before. There's a lot of resources being put in to basketball here. And Zion Williams is just a, a generational talent that's going to attract 
uh, great coaches. People want to coach a guy like that. And uh, so I don't think they're going to have any shortage of strong candidates here. I just know that David Griffin wants to take his time because it's such an important decision. And there's so many things up in the air right now with the NBA. Until January now, uh, you know, the draft's been pushed back. Free agency's going to be pushed back. So he feels like there's no rush uh, into making this hire. Jeff, we certainly appreciate the time we've stolen from you tonight, man. Great insight from you that I've enjoyed from years reading uh, your articles. And you mentioned it earlier, the Athletic right now um, running that deal, and that is a steal. That's uh, the best money uh, subscription, and I'm signed up <laughs> more than I, I should claim, but that is a great subscription. And, and any sports that you cover, but particular here to the New Orleans Saints and the Pelicans and the job y'all do. Thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really, uh, really appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully I'll get to see you guys uh, get over there to that area for a book signing here in the next few weeks or the next few months and uh, get a chance to meet you in person. I really look forward to that. Sounds great. Thank you, Jeff. All right, guys. Thanks again, man. Have a great night. You too, buddy.